Welcome to Space the Nation. This episode, we are going to be talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, upcoming episodes include Altered Carbon, the novel, and then Starship Troopers, the movie, and then Octavia Butler. We are all less sure what we are going to be doing after that. We will take suggestions in the Discord and on the Patreon page at patreon.com slash space the nation. And we are over 100 patrons now, not not very far over, but so we're really going to keep that promise about the patrons only episode. Behind the scenes glimpse, I'm the one who kind of does the fan service <laughs> <laughs> for this podcast. And I like the fans too, okay? I just... Uh, Dan loves the fans. Yes. I'm the one who's kind of on the Discord that and at true. the Patreon. And I need to delegate some stuff to Dan, I think, because we need to figure out what we're going to do for that 100 episode. Okay. And th- we're going to do it. Yes, um, we've been having a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a watch party for the first episode of For All Mankind. And I thought that was fun. Dan, did you think that was I fun? actually enjoyed it, yes. I enjoyed it. I don't know if I enjoyed it enough to keep watching this show. That is also true. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny, especially, we can almost get right into this now, because one of the things I noticed watching For All Mankind, having just finished this series, was the extreme glaring whiteness of it, which is... Period accurate, to be fair. Accurate to the period, but it's just... You you know your vision gets a little different. Let's yeah. say yeah. Um, once once you start to to see superheroes in full color. Mm-hmm. So. Dan, why are we doing this show? There are so many reasons, but I will get to the superficial ones. Which is first, we do not want to play favorites between the DC expanded universe and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We already did the Snyder Cut. It seems appropriate uh, that we talk about something from the MCU, and I think a. Captain America themed episode is entirely appropriate because if you look at the sort of entire body of the MCU, it is the Captain America films, primarily Winter Soldier and Civil War, that have always been the most IR adjacent. And so I do think we should go there. Anna, why do you think we should be doing this? Oh, I think especially having just done Justice League, this was a really interesting comparison. Yeah. You know, people have written and and talked lots about the differences between these two universes. Mm -hmm. The one that kept coming up for me, and maybe we can talk about this more later, is that at least with Justice League, definitely, like Zack Snyder was concerned with interiority. You Mm -hmm. know, like it's a lot about the meaning of man, you know. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Existential. It was existential, as it were. Yes, existential. And the Marvel movies and comics and whatever do deal with, with identity and stuff like that. But they are always, always grounded in the context of communities and countries and globes and whatever. I think the best way to put it is that, you know, in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there are cities like New York and Washington that are in the real world, whereas in DC, (laughs) it's always Gotham or Metropolis or what have you. But for instance, in watching the uh, Infinity War Endgame back to back, Mm -hmm. one of the things that happens multiple times is uh, Captain Marvel is like, you know, Earth isn't the only planet. Like she keeps reminding them that she's got a thousand other places to be. And I think that 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 sort of encapsulates the difference between the Marvel. It decenters Earth, as it were. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. And then, you know, Dan, we talked about whether or not we would do a story behind the story because the MCU saga is very public. Like, everyone talks about it. I mean, we're, I'm going to mention Phase 4, and right. I know that our listeners are going to know what I'm talking about when I say Phase 4. Mm-hmm. But as I was texting with you this morning, I, I found some interesting stuff, mm-hmm. and I thought I would share it. Please do. And just and also, this is, I think, pretty important in context. You know, this, and this, this is the story behind the story, by the way. Yes, this is the story behind the story. This show would not have happened without the Black Panther. I mean, sort of obviously. Mm-hmm. But also, I think that the Black Panther changed culture in a big, big way. Not just in giving America like its, its first truly sort of centered Black superhero, but it also made Marvel accountable. Okay, I, uh, I am going to fact check on this. I, admittedly, pre-MCU, there was Blade. 
I have to point that out. Oh no, I'm gonna. I, I, you mean within the MCU? Fair enough, but like. No, I also mean I also mean the kind of superhero that is a countrywide phenomenon. Yeah, now that's like, Blade's fair. a superhero. Blade's a superhero, I mean, no, and it was I a mean, fine film. But Black Panther was something different in terms of the cultural zeitgeist. That I'm. Black Panther was a cultural event. Yeah, yeah. Fair and enough. I don't know if you did the. You know, I went to go see it in Minneapolis, and I didn't go to a theater that was anywhere different from where I normally go. Mm-hmm. But it was an audience that was very different. Okay. <laughs> Minneapolis is not very, you know, diverse. Well, it depends on where you are. I was going to say, wait a minute. The yeah, theater... hold on. There's a decent Somali community right. there, isn't there? Yeah. Th- 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 there is. And in this particular showing, like, there were tons. You know, it was, it was a very diverse crowd. Mm. And there were little kids dressed up, boys and girls mm. dressed up like Black Panther. And the feeling of it was joyful. Oh, it, was, nice. it was really one of my favorite movie-going experiences ever. Hmm. And... I do think Marvel set itself up mm-hmm. that they're going to have to be accountable on this. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to deal with issues of race and racism. This is a part of phase four, mm-hmm. which in an uncharitable sort of description is they're going to start focusing on the less famous characters. <laughs> in a more charitable description, I think what they're doing is going with some millennial characters. Oh. Like these are characters that are more like the audience and in several different ways, the context they grew up in and also diversity, mm-hmm. right? So there's there's a bunch of movies coming up for Marvel that the superhero isn't a white guy. Mm-hmm. The Black Widow, Shang-Chi, uh, and of course there's a second Captain Marvel movie which is being directed by a black woman. Oh. The Falcon and Winter Soldier has the distinction of being the first Marvel TV series to be directed by a woman. Uh, and the second Marvel property, the first was Captain, Captain Marvel. Marvel was, yeah. yeah. I mean, as you might expect, even if you knew, were not watching the credits or knew nothing about it, it had a black showrunner. But it apparently didn't have a very diverse crew. And that's something that Anthony Mackie has been talking about doing press for this. And I hope that his you know complaints make a difference because I think this comes up in the show, which is the difference between having a public kind of diversity and a behind-the-scenes kind of diversity. Hmm. Who actually is the person in power? What are symbols? You know, wh- how can symbols be important? And what do they mean if that person doesn't actually Interesting. have power? Okay. And being controlled by another entity. Oh, and the last thing I wanted to add, and I know this is getting long, is that in my research, I discovered that there is at least a fan theory that Bucky is bisexual. <laughs> And it has not been denied, I would say. That was the <laughs> that was my discovery. And the last thing, last thing, I swear. Some of our listeners in the Discord, and I've also seen chatter on Twitter, yeah. um, have talked about what was supposedly a discarded storyline about a pandemic. And the showrunner, writer, says that that was not the case. Right. The other thing I will add is that, of course, one of the one of the one of the more fascinating aspects about like trying to read about these things is the sort of way all of these various creative people have to navigate what I would describe as the sort of Marvel Leviathan, you know, which is to say that in fairness, Marvel has their shit together and they have been very, very good at essentially taking a lot of this sort of intellectual property, translating it to the screen and television. But it also means they impose constraints. And this is, will come up when we talk about the Falcon and Winter Soldier, I would add. But it's always amusing to like hear the creative people like occasionally hint that they, maybe there was something else they would have done, but they can't or, or they utter one comment. They usually walk it back immediately. It's it's kind of fascinating, actually. I want to add one more thing about the, what I said about Bucky being bisexual, which is the reason I mentioned that is it would be an Im- fairly important kind of representation in the Marvel Universe. But also to point out that in the comic books, there are lots of gay superheroes. They may not be some of the more famous ones, but they are there. And what's happening now is bringing those characters to a more public a more prominent place. The TV show The Eternals has a gay superhero. Right, which is also, by the way, I think isn't that that is also going to be a Marvel movie, and I believe it's also going to be movie yes. uh, directed by the recently Academy Award winning director Chloe Zhao. Now, having done what we can to contextualize the show in the enormous Marvel cinematic universe, Dan, Anna, could you? Try to summarize the plot of this show. 
<laughs> Folks, sit right back. I'm going to talk uh, just nonstop for the next 50 minutes. No. Uh, all right, let's start with the, the opening act, which I have titled Group Therapy. When we last left this quarter of the MCU, uh, Steve Rogers was approximately a bazillion years old because he'd gone back in time uh, and had bequeathed uh, his vibranium shield and title to his friend Sam Wilson, a.k.a. the Falcon, when he sort of caught up to the present day. Steve's old friend, Bucky Barnes, a.k.a. the Winter Soldier, uh, had approved this prior to Steve going back into time. So we pick up basically six months after the events of Avengers Endgame, in which uh, the blip has been reversed, everyone has come back into the world, as it were, into the universe, indeed. Sam is still the Falcon, now fighting bad guys with the Air Force near the border of Libya, and wrestling with the consequences of owning the shield. He decides to donate the shield to the Smithsonian to be a part of the Captain America exhibit, uh, and he also decides to essentially decline the mantle of Captain America, something that he talks about in a conversation with War Machine, a.k.a. Don Cheadle. Meanwhile, Bucky has been pardoned but it is safe to say he is still haunted by his days as the Winter Soldier and is not getting all that far in therapy. Sam goes home to try to help his family out with the sh- boating business, um, but cannot get a loan <laughs> from the bank. I love how it's actually not super clear what it is I that the business is. I think it's a fishing business. I think it's a fishing business. I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to go too far to force they also maybe want to do catering. I, like, I, it, it, you know... His sister it is, seems is like a cool a family business. Yes, yes. It's a cool family business. It's been in their family for a while. The key it thing does is require a boat. It's, it's, it requires a boat and it's a good vibe. I mean, like you get a good yes. vibe in all the scenes in Louisiana. There's no denying yeah. that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Sam goes home to try to help his family. Uh, he wants to get a loan to try to refinance the boat. They cannot get a loan from the bank because he has no credit history over the past five years. Because if you remember, he was blipped away. He's struggling with that. You know, the fact that he's not necessarily accomplishing all that much. And then he sees that the United States government has decided to take the shield from the Smithsonian and the moniker and give it to a new dude, a white guy named John Walker. Now, Anna, I want to talk a little bit about that bank scene. It's about capitalism, so I apologize for treading a little bit on your turf, but I have taught political economy. (laughs) I think it's okay. I can do this. And I'm going to fully acknowledge this sounds Anyone who complains about something in the MCU not being realistic, you always have to remember we're talking about superhero movies here. But that said, that scene is wildly unrealistic. I am sorry. There is no way the bank would not have offered a loan in that situation. It would have been much more interesting, in my opinion, if they had offered the loan, but also asked Sam, as the Falcon, can you endorse the bank? Because then we will be able to give you you know, the money. And then like he could have wrestled with that and said no and so forth. I think that would have been a much better way to play it. But instead it wound up being honestly pretty cartoonish. What say you? It's, it is, um, overbroad, <laughs> let's say, you know, because I hate banks. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> can't really criticize them too much for making them seem evil and heartless because financial institutions usually are. Mm-hmm. They did what they needed to do. They had to set up a situation where we can see that despite being the Falcon, Sam is still black. And he carries with him all of the history of that. The weight. And he yes. gets all of the prejudice and discrimination and systemic injustice that comes with being black in America. Mm. They could have been more subtle. <laughs> and in fact, you know, later on, there's a somewhat more subtle scene. Yeah. You know, when when he and Bucky are busted for walking down the street in in Baltimore, uh, that's Baltimore. Right. Yeah. But I, I did actually kind of like it. Again, we cannot talk too much about realism, but I did have <laughs> a thought about, you know, that five year blip being the reason why he couldn't get a loan. Really? Yeah. Like if everyone knows you've been gone for five years, if half the world has been gone for five years, surely there has been some way to account for that in financial situations, you know, things move pretty quick in the financial world. Yeah, (laughs) so of all the places you would have assumed the finance sector would have adapted somewhat quickly to this. So, yeah. 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 And then I also wanted to say um, Sebastian Stan does not get a lot to do in this (laughs) part of the show, in this opening, Uh, but we do get a taste of the many stares of Sebastian Stan. So... 
I at, at this I point appreciated I, that. Yes, and I have to point out that my wife's top subtitle for this show is "Dudes, you did not notice because they were standing next to a Chris, but now you notice." Um, <laughs> and I think it would be safe to say that applied to Sebastian Stan. I, and I, as I told you yes. earlier, I have always noticed Sebastian Stan. I think I I love the Winter Soldier character. I think that his story is really powerful being a tool of governments and the trauma that comes with that. He's one of the few Iron Man deals with trauma, mm-hmm. but we never really see like Captain America deal with it. Thor did, at least in know. the in the movies, clearly. Yeah. yeah. So wait, who did? Thor. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yeah. I, I, I said or did. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thor deals with post-traumatic stress syndrome. A bunch of them do. Um, but obviously with uh, Bucky's situation, it's in well, we'll be talking more about it. That's so continue, Dan. Continue. <laughs> okay, we move into Act 2, the best banter. Bucky and Sam go to Munich to investigate a group called the Flag Smashers. That's just a horrible name. A bunch of globalists who want to return to a blip world. Uh, their motto is one world, one people. It's safe to say that here, the sort of political economy part of this is that apparently when everyone returned prior to that during the blip period... Uh, there were no national governments. It's not really talked about specifically, but that appears to be what happened. And then when everyone comes back, essentially the people who move to the more developed parts of the world are suddenly displaced. They're now treated as refugees. There is much banter between Bucky and Sam <laughs> as they finally connect. They learn that these flag smashers have taken a super soldier serum. They go to Munich to investigate. Battle. There is much battle. They think there's a teenage stowaway who's like been captured. Actually, she is Carly Morgenthau, the leader of the flag smashers. Sam and Bucky are saved in this battle by the new Cap and his sidekick, Battlestar. And I- I'm really proud of myself that I said Battlestar without giggling. <laughs> there's a lot of bickering there. Out of leads as to what the Flag Smashers are up to, uh, Bucky fesses up to Sam that there might be another super soldier out there. Uh, They head to Baltimore, and Bucky introduces Sam to Isaiah Bradley, who was experimented on with another super soldier serum during Korean War, one of many, many, many African Americans who were experimented on. He was apparently the only one to survive where the serum actually was somewhat stable, and because of that, was incarcerated for his troubles. It would be safe to say... Well, he actually... So I want to... This is sort of important. He chooses to try and rescue some of his fellow soldiers mm-hmm. and he does that without you know going through the brass or whatever right. and that's considered insubordination or whatever which is interesting given it is, it, that is exactly what steve rogers does in the in captain america the first avenger it, it is literally yeah. like it is the thing that he does yeah. and it is clearly a pretext to experiment further on him mm-hmm. that is what i would say yes Uh, It would be safe to say that uh, Isaiah is still harboring some resentment about this. Um, Mm -hmm. It is a very good performance by Carl Lumbly, really quite well done. And I also want to add that I think this show is, it's not exactly correct, but this show is really the first time therapy played a big role in the MCU. And I would say it's about damn time, as we were talking about. Like, there's, there's a lot of PTSD going on among these characters, you know, so maybe more therapy would be a good thing. Yes, I was interested in this as, as a veteran of many different kinds of therapy. And I just will say, I haven't seen the style that was employed here. <laughs> <laughs> but he, they do have a good um, rapport, Bucky and his uh, veteran psychologist. I who, do... is, who is, I want to add, and this is important, because sometimes when there are therapy scenes in shows like this, the therapist is sort of depicted as clueless and completely out of it. And that was yeah. not the case here, which I was very yeah. pleased to see that she was competent and knew what she was doing. Yeah, I, I did like her as a character. Mm-hmm. I, I did wonder what was actually happening. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway, and also, I, I guess I'll say, having rewatched Endgame, there is the, the scene with Cap. You know, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. A group therapy session, yeah. like a su- survivor support group. Oh, God. It's and weird now, that he's leading. No, it. and now that I think it's, about it's very, it, Sam did that in in Winter Soldier. You see, that's his. That's where you first see him. He's working at the VA right. doing that. That's, that's true. right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, in some ways, the, the whole Cap thing is all about therapy. This is interesting. I agree that uh, the Isaiah Bradley scenes were incredibly powerful and upsetting. Yeah. You know, Um, and it is upsetting. And and Sam is very upset by it, believably upset by it. You know, Bucky knows this story, which I actually think is interesting. And I want to talk a little bit more later about Bucky's experience with black people, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, 
he seems to, I mean, he spent all that time in Wakanda. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I don't want to use the word woke because I'm trying to be serious. I just think that he has a comfort and a knowledge of his black friends Mm -hmm. that is, let's say, more substantial than John Walker's uh, friendship with Battlestar. Like, not more substantial. I, I, I actually liked Battlestar, Lamar. Yes, and I'm sorry. I'm being unfair. Little... Lamar as a character is interesting. <laughs> Battlestar is just such a ridiculous name that, like, and but I have he to. He seems to yeah. kind of realize that. Like, yeah. I love that he's like, I got a little, little logo. Yeah. I made up a little logo and everything. Right. And I, I guess we'll talk a, bit, a little bit more about that later. But I think that Bucky's knowledge and and friendship with Isaiah is a really interesting little touch mm-hmm. that does get built out a little bit more. The way I would put it is that you know there to the extent that you see Bucky actually flirt. The only time he does it is with Sam's sister. And it was believable in the sense mm-hmm. that you could, you could, you know, and it, it wasn't a huge thing, but like you could sense that he would be A, interested and B, comfortable enough in his own skin and comfortable enough in the environment to be able to do it, I guess would be the way to put it. Yeah. And it was also subtle. It yeah. wasn't like, it was, I mean, I remember actually watching the first scene where they flirt and I'm like, are they flirting? It kind of <laughs> seems like they're flirting. Yeah. And then when it's called out, I'm like, oh, okay, that was an intentional thing. Yeah. And I don't know how everyone doesn't flirt with Sebastian. <laughs> to go back to the banter, yeah. uh, this section of the show has one of my favorite pieces of banter, <laughs> which is when um, I believe it is uh, Sam who invokes the fact that the Avengers always fight the big three, aliens, androids, and wizards, yes. which then reveals that Bucky read The Hobbit when it came out <laughs> in 1937, yeah, yeah. 37, yeah. whatever. Like, I love, like, he's he pulls a fanboy, you know, on Sam. <laughs> this little book you may have heard this little book you may not have heard of it the hobbit <laughs> but i do like that buck i mean you don't think of bucky necessarily as terribly nerdy but that wasn't like that was a nerd moment for him which i actually quite liked and i think he is a bit of a nerd like yeah. i think he is yeah i think he's pretty deep. he might be and part of it is that i think you know you were introduced to bucky through steve and obviously steve yeah. is the more nerdy of the two so that you know i think that also might be but the very fact that he's friends with steve suggests yes he has some nerd yeah. in him okay moving on from the big three yes so still out of leads uh and deducing that maybe hydra would be responsible for the new super soldier serum uh bucky convinces sam to break out uh zemo from uh berlin prison if you remember zemo was the sort of architect of all the troubles in captain america civil war zemo in turn leads them to the country slash city slash pirates cove of madripoor (laughs) um a a town Borrowed as near as I can figure out from the John Wick universe, because that's what it looked like to me, (laughs) where they finally meet up with Sharon Carter, who has been on the run uh, since giving Cap his shield and also some deep kissing. Sharon is, let's say, cynical at this point, uh, or as Bucky puts it, she's all kinds of awful now. Sharon helps them find the doctor, Wilfred Nagel, who is responsible for the super soldier serum. Uh, He fesses up that he's been working for, quote, the power broker in Madripoor uh, and has developed 20 new shots from Isaiah's blood, which he got from the CIA, uh, ones that give you strength without changing your physique. Carly Morgenthau stole those doses from him. When he finally divulges this information, Zemo then kills him and the lab is blown up. Anna, I know this show wants to say some important things about race and nationalism, but I think one of the weird problems with it is that the Bucky-Sam banter just blows everything else away in this show, including Carly, who I am supposed to care about, but cannot and really, really, really don't. Well, I guess the comment I would make back to that is that the banter is a function of their relationship, right? Right. Like, the banter works because their relationship is so interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think their relationship is a place where we can talk about racism and nationalism, actually. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, it's that relationship that makes the rest of the conversation kind of possible. Mm-hmm. And and so I don't I, – I agree that the, the problem with them having such a cool, bantery, interesting dynamic is that the rest of people's dynamics is pales in comparison. Yeah. Like, you just don't get another one. Although I will say that Bucky's relationship with the leader of the Dora Malaji, mm-hmm. whose name I cannot recall right now, is also kind of fun and bantery. And they are clearly, uh, you know, good friends and have, have become very close. And 
yeah i mean carly is a problem mm. <laughs> you needed a much stronger actress there i think i thought she was good but not good enough to carry the role mm-hmm. and it's it's unusual i think for marvel to really miss in casting I- and, and and to me, this stood out as a, as a unusually kind of. I don't want to. I don't want to you know rag on her too much because it's fine, I guess. But everyone else was doing more. Yeah, I think. I mean, they had less. So this is the part I'm not sure about, which is. I mean, I can see why they cast her. She is visually arresting. You know, mm-hmm. she's got the the red hair and lovely accent and so forth, but. What I couldn't figure out was whether this was not a great performance by her or the fact that the, in some ways her character was the one where it was always tell and not show. Um, yeah. In ways where, I, where actually, again, I think they actually could have reworked it so that there was some showing. They could have actually showed her displaced. That would have been the best way to have demonstrated sympathy for her. And, and so it was frustrating because, again, it was the sort of most IRE part of this series, which was also easily the most boring. But I take your point about the the banter being earned. And I think this is something where I do think Marvel occasionally, the cheap criticism of Marvel sometimes is that it's all quippy and and cute and therefore it doesn't really get that deep. But I like your point, and I think it's true about a lot of the, the MCU, which is the quips don't work unless the characters are reasonably well drawn and there's actual mm-hmm. tension between them. Um, and so, again, I think it, it's not a coincidence that like anytime... Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Sand are on the screen together. It is magic. And when they're not on the screen, it gets more difficult. Again, battle scene in Endgame when Cap picks up Thor's hammer. Yeah. And Thor goes, I knew yes. it. Like, that's hilarious. Yes, exactly. And it works because of the, everything that's happened, you know, before. It's like a funny bit in the middle. Also, it's a funny thing in the middle of a battle. And that's another thing they get, yeah. you know, criticized for is to have humor in the middle of battles. Fine. Yeah. Like, that happens, you know. It's a wonderful moment. Yeah. Do I get to say uh, the spoiler thing about the power broker? Yeah, here? go for it. I mean, it's pretty is, obvious. This yeah. is when I figured out who the power yes, broker yes, was. Yes. <laughs> So at the end of the battle at the docks, mm-hmm. Sharon gets into a limo with the driver and she says something like, we have problems now or something We actually, like we have that. several problems. So, yeah. 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 And I was like, oh, so she's the power broker, huh? Like, it just, it, I, I, I think they put a lot, it feels like they put a lot of energy into trying to make that really mysterious. Yeah. But, so like, it, my reaction was even worse, which is when we find out that she's the power broker, I'm like, oh, right. Okay. I just didn't care. I, it, you know, it, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't that important. The power broker side of it just also isn't that interesting uh, storyline. Right. Exactly. It, it's barely a storyline. Yes. You know, like, in fact, it, it sort of, it seems pretty, yeah, like, you know, um, irrelevant to the rest of I mean, what's happening. This is always, this is always an issue with the MCU, which is there are times where there are scenes in movies or, t- or, or the television shows as well, where you're like, okay, where are they going with this? And they wind up not going that far with it but then in a future movie or what have you it does set things up well like you know like i think age of ultron is the is the great example of this which is a film by itself is not that great but you begin to see that they are laying a lot of groundwork for what then happens in phase three so i don't know maybe we'll see sharon again i assume so it's set up so that clearly we're you know we're going to see her again but yes at least in the context of this show i didn't care <laughs> right all right, continuing on. Going on to Act 3, heavy symbolism. They trace Carly, we could also call her Manic Pixie Dream Globalist, uh, the leader of the Flag Smashers to Riga, a city on the Baltic Sea. I did laugh when Sam said that because I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we know, okay? Sorry. Uh, it's the capital of Latvia, for God's sake. Um, tracing that. that, is that you're right. That, that wasn't actually really funny. I'm sorry. It was like, like of, the, of all the ways to identify it, it's like, Normally, the MCU is not that bad. Is that going to help people? Right. The, like, the MCU is normally not that bad at sort of heavy-handed exposition. But when he said that, I was like, really? Really? That's, that's okay, fine. <laughs> like, that's something an editor would have cut out if I was just, if I was in charge. All right. Uh, also following them to Riga is John Walker and Lamar, uh, as well as the Dora Milaje, who are very interested in Zemo. Sam tracks down Car- Because he killed- Yes, I'm sorry. The Dora Milaje are very interested in Zemo because after all, Zemo killed T'Challa's father, uh, whose name escapes me, at the UN, again, events in uh, Captain America's Civil War. 
Sam tracks down Carly uh, and tries to talk her down from blowing up uh, the GRC, which is the Global Repatriation Council, which is the body that is presumably engaging in the sort of resettlement of people now displaced by the people coming back from the blip. She's been blowing up GRC depots and, and you know, making more super soldiers. That intervention ends badly when Neocap, John Walker, uh, walks in and tries to rush things. In the chase, Carly loses the remaining doses of serum. Zemo destroys all but one of those doses, uh, which John Walker sort of pockets for himself. They regroup yeah. in Zemo's apartment, but the Dora Milaje show up, and boy, do they kick everyone's ass. Walker decides to take his dose of the super soldier serum after getting humbled by the Dora Milaje. They find Carly again. There is more battle. And in the process, she kills Lamar, a.k.a. Battlestar. Walker, enraged, then kills one of the Flag Smashers with his shield in full view of the public. Anna, the symbolism on this show is not subtle, but the blood on Cap's shield at the end of episode four, I think, is still pretty goddamn powerful. No? It is. It really is. And and that's where I think we should give some credit to some of the other actors in yeah. the series. Uh, Wyatt Russell, mm-hmm. who plays John Walker, and Clay Bennett, who plays Lamar. And I think Clay Bennett does a lot with very little. You know, he he rounds out this very minor character in a way that we care yeah. when he dies. And the relationship between him and John Walker is rich enough that I believed that he would kill whoever killed mm-hmm. Lamar. Like that was a... And, you, and to make that scene powerful, you have to believe that John Walker is not just randomly losing it, yeah. <laughs> getting angry yeah. and losing it, that he's he has a reason to lose it. I mean, it's sort of indicated that the super soldier serum might have something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess it might work as a kind of steroid, let's say. I would say two things about this. There's, first of all, there's a great scene between John Walker and... Uh, and Lamar in like a bar or something right before mm-hmm. that battle scene where, and I actually, I, that scene is, is I think it's crucial to John Walker's character because it actually shows him having some doubts about whether he should do what he's about to do. Um, and it's right. an acknowledgement that like, yeah, he's been Captain America, but like he has done bad things. He is aware that he has done bad things. Indeed, even to a greater degree than Lamar. But there's also like a nifty little moment during the action scene after he's taken the super soldier serum where you can see he's sort of feeling the effects of it. He like twitches mm-hmm. his neck a little bit and so on and so forth. It's not, it, it's very subtle, but it speaks to your point. So I'd like to talk about the scene where John Walker goes to visit Lamar's family, because mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, especially in the context that we were saying earlier, that Bucky has a familiarity and comfort with his friend's blackness mm-hmm. uh, that is not on display here. Yeah. I think although it's an awkward Lamar, scene for a variety of reasons, obviously. Oh, oh it, well, most awkward because uh, he's lying. Yeah. And and I, I do think that Lamar would not have appreciated the lie. Right. I think he would have disapproved of the lie. Um, and also, it's just sort of a general discomfort, like a general kind of ickiness to it. And I think, and I not to throw any kind of doubt on the strength of their friendship, I have this feeling that John Walker is one of those guys that says, I don't see color. <laughs> and, <laughs> and one of his best friends is black. <laughs> Probably. I, I, and I'm sure he loved Lamar, yeah. but it, it, there's just to me, like it, it's, it stands out in contrast to what we see with Bucky. I think in some ways, the comfort and discomfort is a good way of putting this because one of the, one of the good things about Wyatt Russell's performance throughout this entire series is that he is clearly uncomfortable in yeah. any role that he is given. He wants yeah. to be Captain America and he actually talks about how it's, he thinks it's a good thing to do. But, you know, it, the reason I think you wind up feeling sorry or you actually sympathize with the character is because it's clear he is struggling really hard to try to do the right mm-hmm. thing and he doesn't quite know what he's supposed to be doing. And I think that's something that Wyatt Russell gives to the character that the script doesn't. Because mm-hmm. the script, and we will talk about this in the next section, is very unfair <laughs> <laughs> to John Walker. Having given him this sympathy mm-hmm. Um, for the stress he's been under, for his post-traumatic stress syndrome, for these allusions to having done something very terrible in Afghanistan. Yeah. That apparently earned him three medals of honor? I mean, like... that. I know, that also, I was like, how do you get three no, medals that, of No, that is, that, is, that is Bruce Banner, <laughs> I have seven PhDs. Right, okay. That's the same thing. Do you remember, like, in, in Thor Ragnarok, at one point yeah. Banner says, I have seven PhDs, and every academic I know was like, what the fuck? 
are you thinking getting seven PhDs? <laughs> there is no reason to do that. So same thing. I like the idea that maybe he just turned in the same dissertation to like seven <laughs> different places. <laughs> Bruce Banner, academic scandal. I like that. <laughs> Is it plagiarizing if you're just copying yourself? It's self-plagiarism. Know. There's there's claims that there are. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we can we can move on. Okay. Let's try to wrap this up. All right, so let us uh, rename the show. So in the final act, uh, Bucky and Sam take the shield from Walker uh, by force. The government, embarrassed by the bad PR of Walker using the shield in that way, strips him of his title. He is then rescued, sort of, by Val, I think her name is, played by Julie Louis-Dreyfus. We'll talk about that in a bit. Sam decides he is going to be Cap after all, uh, starts working out with the shield. Nice working out montage. Uh, Bucky calls in a favor from Wakanda and gets a new suit for Sam. Uh, the Flag Smashers, meanwhile, converge on New York, where they take the GRC leadership hostage. Sam, with Bucky and Sharon as back up break it up walker stripped of his title but determined to make a difference also steps in and does the right thing gamingly tries to save lives rather than actually just go out for vengeance uh it ends with sam fighting carly sharon killing her and zemo's murder butler ensuring <laughs> the rest of the flag smasher super soldiers are destroyed we learn that as anna said sharon is actually the power broker we learn that sam also inherits the captain america ability to speechify we learn that bucky is doing the work as it were trying to make amends from those he's killed walker will be U.S. agent uh, again I believe under the thumb worst superhero name yeah. ever I have to say I, I like just I, like the laziest <laughs> worse than War Machine though I actually think War Machine is a horrible name for a superhero I gotta say so I do think that's a horrible name but not because it's lazy fair enough okay just because yes. it's, it's it's dehumanizing and finally we learn that everyone loves a Louisiana cookout because that's how the show ends uh, I thought they had something interesting with the John Walker storyline, as we, we just talked about it, but they rushed it at the end, um, which is, it was a weird thing where, like, you're obviously not supposed to feel really good about him. He does some bad things. You get the idea that he's a complicated character, but I would say he gets off, like, absolved pretty damn quickly. I did, however, always think it was interesting, and it was sort of underplayed, that Sam was always more sympathetic to Walker than Bucky was. Yeah, I... The reason why Sam is even able to talk to Carly, and he makes a reference to this at some point, is that, yes, in his former life, he was a counselor Mm -hmm. to veterans. So it makes sense that he would be more sympathetic to Carly. He'd be more sympathetic to John Walker. Mm -hmm. And it actually, now that I think about it, maybe it gives him some patience with Bucky, but it doesn't seem to be one of the underpinnings of their relationship. Yeah, I I did not like the scene um, of John Walker getting stripped of his medals and of his veterans benefits, which seems really uncalled for. Some of our listeners in the Discord have talked about how not only is that really unrealistic, which, again, we have to be careful about calling things unrealistic. um, It's really unnecessarily cruel. You know, like to do that to someone, right? Someone who is ostensibly a war hero and like without question screwed up, but like, you know, like, yeah, it's it's bad. And I would just say American soldiers have done terrible things. Yes. Not all of them were captured on social media, right. but they have usually gotten away with not that much punishment, I would right. say. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. But anyway, in, in, in any case, I didn't necessarily want him not to get punished. I just wanted a little more, at least to show that he was being treated unfairly. That would have been kind of interesting. Mm. To have what happens to him be the thing that happens, but to it make clear that, like, this guy needs therapy. He needs his veterans benefits, yeah. you know? I hated Sam's speech. <laughs> hated it, hated it, hated it, hated it, hated it, hated it. I don't really understand why he went on so long. I didn't understand kind of the point of it beyond you guys shouldn't play with other people's lives, which is a good lesson, right? And you should have more input uh, from the people whose lives, you know, hang in the balance because of your decisions. I think it would have been so much more interesting to do a show and not tell here. Because talk about telling, right? Yeah. Like his speech is all tell. Yeah. And by the way, sometimes, you know, we, we talk about this a lot. Sometimes telling is good. Like the therapy scene where Bucky finally says, if Steve was wrong about you, then maybe he was wrong about me. I thought that was like a great line. It's a great scene. That's good telling. And you know why it works, though? It's because he's been showing. yes. For a long time. Right, exactly. So this insecurity, his insecurity has been clear for a long yeah. time. We have just, and we've had a sense of why he's insecure. Right. 
Whereas right. this, like the again, it goes. The Flag Smashers was the weakest part of this show. The mm-hmm. and I apologize as an international relations professor because there's no denying the international relations angle was the weak link in this show by far. And so you don't have to apologize for that. I apologize <laughs> on behalf of all you, of international relations. <laughs> I am willing to be a consultant for the MCU if they are calling me. But yeah, that that this was the kind of thing where it was a big speech about something that no one cared about. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I think it would have been much more powerful here for Sam to use some of the power that he has mm. to make a diff- the kind of difference that he was talking yeah. about. Right? I will say... And also, this is where I want to point out, one idea I had was like, what if he like somehow got this GRC to work with like a peaceful version of the Flag, flag Smashers? Mm-hmm. And when I thought that, I thought, you know what? There has to have been a peaceful version of the Flag Smashers. That right? I mean, maybe this, we should save this yes. for the IR, yeah. IR se- section, but it seems to me that most extremist movements have some something that is a slightly less extreme version. There is usually at least a public culture. speaking. Let me put it this way. You would, you, yeah, it would yeah, be yeah, easy yeah. to imagine, first of all, genuinely peaceful groups, you know, um, you know, forming to say, hey, you know, maybe we shouldn't be displacing people. We need to think about this yeah. more seriously. And even if there was this sort of flag smashers group, you would assume there would be the equivalent of the Sinn Féin or there would be some sort of, you know, political wing of it that might actually be able to talk to people. Yes, that's fair. Yeah, it seems odd that like they're the only people speaking for the displaced. Yes. And that was the other problem, which is we're supposed to believe that they're they have sympathizers everywhere but again there's not much there and it's not really terribly interesting so dana having heard you really heard you <laughs> uh talk about the ir already in this uh series i hate to ask you this next question oh, no. but dan anna is there ir in this series well, duh, Anna, there clearly is IR in this series, and most of it is pretty obvious, and I don't want to talk about it too much, but I will talk about it a little bit. Um, I'm going to record, I don't want to talk about it too much. <laughs> you and, know what? Like, use Even it. IR props occasionally, like, oh, God, again. All right, fine. No, the the there could have been an interesting theme, I think, about sort of globalism versus nationalism. So the Flag Smashers premise was was that the crisis of the blip was so great that you actually in theory i guess had one world government again it wasn't really clear but i think that's what it was um and so the return of all these people essentially also leads to a return to nationalism so there are people who wind up displacing others and so on and so forth and the thing that i thought was most interesting was that the reason that the government ostensibly creates captain america or revives captain america as it were um and gives it to john walker is that they say the country needs Something And so, you know, again, if the Flag Smashers are supposed to be in favor of globalism and Captain America is supposed to be a nationalist icon, what they never really did was actually make the case for the nationalist icon. Like, we know that Captain America is supposed to be a pretty good hero and so forth, but I would have liked to have seen an argument in favor of, you know what, we need national governments because if we have a global government, they're not going to notice the little people. There, there are arguments in favor of of nationalism that, by the way, are not like, you know, the the dark side of nationalism. There are arguments in favor of patriotism. There are arguments in favor of a decentralized form of government, which on earth would mean states. Well, for instance, also, if you don't have nationalism, then what happens to a country like Wakanda? Exactly. Yeah. Wakanda is pretty fucking cool. And they are because they know themselves. They are, you know, black people representing black people. And if you suddenly said, no, like you're just... You don't get to be Wakanda anymore, I think. Well, I mean, Wakanda forever. That's what I'm saying. Right. And so that's a good point. Basically, there was never a a case made for nationalism, which you kind of need to do given this sort of setup. I would also add there is some historical precedent for the Flag Smashers grievances, although obviously we have never blipped half the the world away. There have been instances. uh, German reunification was one of them. Also, the Helms-Burton sanctions that the U.S. imposed on Cuba, in which essentially when a revolutionary government or a government took over and displaced sort of the old property holders, in the case of German reunification, some West Germans tried to reclaim their property that was held in East Germany. This obviously was a thorny political subject. And Helms-Burton, the sanctions that were imposed on anyone who potentially used property that was held essentially by Cuban emigres when they came to the United States. So there are actual real world issues that sort of parallel what the Flag Smashers were ostensibly talking about. 
But again, what vexed me was the, the failure to make the case for nationalism. I will add one last point, which is, again, it was striking to me, which is I love the fact that there was a Captain America tech entirely made in Wakanda. <laughs> so don't tell me that wouldn't have been like there would have been a Daily Caller essay like you know <laughs> a week after sam shows up in which like oh yeah sure your captain america in quotes uses tech only from wakanda what's that you know what's wrong with the the american yeah, outsourcing our hero exactly. thanks a lot yes, yes. Yeah, yeah by the way i will say though i thought the wakandan costume was cool and it, going again to the showing not telling i actually thought the most effective moment in that final episode is not definitely not sam's speech it's when sam flies in holding carly and you sort of see the full Falcon slash Captain America uh, uniform, which I thought was pretty good. I thought that was a little overwrought. I mean, it's cool, but yeah. It was too much schmaltz for you? It was a little little much, a little much for me. I think the one other thing that I think was interesting is is here is really the sort of power of political symbols. And this show is in some ways was entirely about an inanimate object, which by which I mean Cap Shield. And who holds that shield, who wields that shield, what power do they have when they have it? And indeed, one of you know, in some ways the most telling to the extent that there was an elegant political point made in this show, it was that John Walker never felt like he could actually rise to the level of that shield without taking the super soldier serum whereas sam would never have taken the super soldier serum and in the end realizes that he can be captain america and still be a man that the power comes from in part his skills you know with with tech and so forth but also who he is and from wakanda and also again (laughs) imports from wakanda which i think again speaks well of globalization but that's a whole separate thing (laughs) one of the more interesting elements of this series was the the dealings with Isaiah and so forth, um, that in some ways the U.S. government clearly owed Isaiah an apology. There is some really interesting uh, research in international relations on the role that apologies play in international relations. Jennifer Lind has written a great book called Sorry States, pointing out that apologies in world politics can be complicated because if you apologize um, done well, it can actually lead to a healing of, of ties, but done poorly, if it creates domestic blowback, that can, can actually worsen relations. And I will say that I think, it, although this is domestic within the United States, I actually thought the idea of having um, Isaiah Bradley be part of the Captain America exhibit was actually a deft non-apology apology. And so was one of the more subtle elements of the show that I actually thought they handled pretty well. Correcting history can be a kind of apology, I guess. And and here's where, Dan, if you'll pardon me, I'm going to dust off my AA um, step stool here (laughs) and mount it (laughs) because I have some things to say about recovery, Uh, which is relevant in, in, (laughs) which I do think is relevant here because I thought the most powerful apology in the whole show was when Bucky admits to Sam that he and Steve should have thought a little harder Mm about giving a black man the Captain America shield. Not not giving it to him, mm-hmm. but that they were thoughtless mm-hmm. in considering how hard it would be for him, that it would mean something different. Yeah. And I, it's not, and maybe I, I like that it's not presented as an apology, and maybe that's why I like it, because it's actually something I like much more than an apology, which is taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of where I can talk about the AA version of this. So in AA, we don't apologize. We make amends. Mm. I mean, mean, if you bump into somebody, you can say sorry. But (laughs) (laughs) but as far as the 12-step process goes, the eighth and ninth step of the 12 steps are about making amends. And the distinction for me between amends and apologies is when you make an amend to someone, you are not asking for anything in return. Mm. You're not asking to be forgiven. You're not even asking for them not to be mad. You were saying, what can I do to make this right? Making amend in 12-step program, at least as I was taught, is first of all, you have to know what you did. You have to be pretty certain that you have a full knowledge of the wrong that you did, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when you go to the person, you say something like, I believe I've wronged you. This is the way that I I think I've wronged Mm -hmm. you. And at the end of that, you say, did I miss anything? Very, very important part of the process. Okay. And then you say, is there anything I can do to make it right? 
Okay. It's really more like reparations, I guess. Ah, that does sound like reparations. Yes. Okay. (laughs) And, you know, the work that I've done on my other show with friends like these, we talk a lot about white supremacy and and structural inequality and how to fix, quote unquote, fix these things. And the people I've talked to who are on the receiving end of, of some of this bigotry and the historical inequalities, you know, they're not speaking for everyone, but it's, it's, it's interesting to me how many of these writers and thinkers and whatnot have said that for them, the thing that really matters is to hear their pain acknowledged, hmm. fully, fully acknowledged. Right. That yes, reparations would be, are, you know, no one's going to turn down reparations. <laughs> what they want is recognition. Yes, that, that it is not really, it feels like buy, being bought off, perhaps, to have something that's just an apology and just, you know, something material, and it's not in full recognition of what was done. And, and that was sort of my problem with what Bucky was doing as his version of amends. And I think that Sam kind of calls him on that. And I, I you know, they don't use the word, it, they're not using 12-step language, obviously. But... Bucky wasn't getting relief. No, I think, I think Sam uh, says you guilt. weren't you weren't you weren't apologizing or you weren't you know making amends. You were avenging, and I think it went, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And he wasn't making their lives right. whole, and he wasn't taking responsibility either. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the difference. Is that if you just go back and like avenge, then that person there's still a hole in that person's life. Mm-hmm that they have not been fully acknowledged, right? That the pain has not been fully acknowledged by the person that caused it. So I could go on about this, but <laughs> I, <laughs> and perhaps I already have. But, but you know what? But I, I have thought a that was really interesting. Yeah. Okay. But, that, but I have a question, Anna. Yeah. Anna? Dan? Is, does this show have anything to say about capitalism? Oh, Dan. <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. As I texted you midway through the series... <laughs> The thing that occurred to me and kept occurring to me is if you take the phrase uh, super soldier serum and replace it with wealth, <laughs> you get a really interesting commentary. And I do think it works. Mm-hmm. It Does it make you more of who you are mm. or does it corrupt you? And should it exist? Should great, great wealth exist? You know, Zemo makes this argument that even if a good person has uh, this power, mm-hmm. this super soldier power, the mere fact of having that great inequality between a mere person and a super soldier mm-hmm. is an injustice and creates superiority, mm-hmm. creates, a, creates a caste yeah. system. It is ironic that Zemo apparently has untold I was wealth. going to say, I, yes. I kind of loved that, actually, <laughs> that he's making this argument that, to me, again, is the argument against wealth inequality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he obviously was oblivious to that as a wealthy person. <laughs> anyway, and, and, you know, there's some there's obvious other things that have to do with, like, nationalism and returning to nationalism. But I thought the stuff about power was the was the place you got the most interesting commentary on capitalism. Yeah. Although, I mean, one of the weird things the show did, which I hadn't thought about is it's not exactly a retconning as it were but it made you appreciate Steve Rogers as a character even though he's not there you know like the scene that you're talking about it, it was Zemo acknowledged that Steve was the one person who had taken the super soldier serum who doesn't change as a result and again I think the lesson to draw from that is, as always, Stanley Tucci is right, by which which I mean that as, you know, playing Dr. Erskine, I think his name was, you know, in Captain America, he consciously chooses Steve because Steve is a weakling. He knows what it's like to be powerless. He knows what it's like to be poor, if to continue your theme. And so when he then gets the serum, he really does basically become just more of who he is, which is a decent human being. But he is the exception that perhaps proves the rule that you say, which is that, you know, extreme wealth or extreme power does perhaps dull one's sympathies with uh, those less well off than you. And it inevitably creates a a caste system. That's the the thing that I thought was really an Mm. interesting twist. That 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 when Zemo makes that except argument, I, th- that just the existence of this level of superhuman. Okay, except this is where is, I start having issues with it because, like, it's not if you get rid of the super soldier serum, 
you get rid of the Avengers oh, and you well, get rid of other things. No, he's you know. wrong. I mean, he's, I mean, as with Marxism in general, yeah. as soon as you get to the real world, like you're going to have right. problems. Okay. All right. I just <laughs> okay. want that acknowledged You're going to have problems yes. in application. Yes. You're, you're going to have problems in application. But the theory, the idea is, I think, one to keep in mind, because it's also it comes up a little bit in Sam's way too long, way too pedantic speech. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, which is much more explicitly about power. Yeah. So I'm so glad you asked about that. Dan. Thank you. <laughs> okay. All right, Dan. Um, I think we're just about done, but there's a, there, I see some rocks up ahead. <laughs> I, I see some, some floating asteroids. Dan, Anna. we are entering the debris field. Excellent. What do you have that's sort of left over? So a few things. First of all, it should be flag smushers and not flag smashers. You can't smash a flag. It just makes no goddamn sense. It's a horrible name, and it really, it should have clued people in that this was not going to be a good plot line. Not a huge thing, but I did like Henry Jackman's score. Um, he also did the score for Captain America Winter Soldier, which also has the best piece of music, I thought, uh, in the entire MCU, so I'm a big fan of that. There is a... Fantastic uh, post, I think, uh, on a blog called Black Nerd about the fact that Sam can't fight, which I think is very interesting because it points out that Sam gets his ass kicked repeatedly throughout the MCU, first by the henchman in Winter Soldier. Ant-Man beats him in the Ant-Man movie, you know, and and going forward. And someone once pointed out that, like, the good action scenes also reveal things about character and Again, one of the better things about the show, actually, is that you could tell that Sharon was going to be morally ambiguous from the fight scene that takes place in Madripoor, where she uses someone as a human shield as someone's firing mm-hmm. on them. Whereas, on the other hand, Sam's fighting is almost entirely defensive. You know, he, the, his best move is always to use his wings in some ways as a, as a shield to protect others, including himself. So I really did like that. And finally, uh, there is a brief GRC ad that appears in the show to sort of explain, you know, we're remaking the world. I just thought that was incredibly well done. That totally seemed like a believable political ad. I thought it was a believable political ad, yeah. too. I, I do want to add something that's a, it's something kind of big. I, I shouldn't have left it for the debris field. It sort of fits in with the um, bank scene, actually, which is this idea that I mentioned when I was talking about the Marvel you know, production process, the difference between having power, symbolic power, and having power, power. Mm-hmm. I lost count of the number of times that Sam told someone that he could help them because he, quote, knew someone. Right. Yeah. And that must have been intentional, right? And to me, what that was saying was that Sam doesn't be, you know, in part because he is black, Mm -hmm. right? In in part because he's he's not yet fully perhaps become Captain America and he's still more symbolic or or something. I mean, I, I think it's a commentary on, you know inequality he doesn't have access to power himself he's always saying but i can help you but i'm gonna have to ask somebody else i can help you but i'm gonna have to ask somebody else mm. i believe he would stop doing that at this point he's fully embodied the superhero yes like i said i i cannot believe that's accidental it happens a lot Go one ahead. other thing i forgot about this but but it, it does speak to i think the flaws of the show but there was an absurd moment when the dora milaje come in to get zemo and Captain America says, they don't have jurisdiction here. And the Dora Milaje <laughs> says, we have jurisdiction wherever we want. But all I'm thinking is, you're Captain fucking America. Do you think you have jurisdiction here? Like, it's not how this, like, it, it was this sort of, you know. You're, you're in a city on the Baltic yes. Sea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, it's a NATO ally, but I'm pretty sure that you as Captain America <laughs> do not have jurisdiction. In fact, I'm pretty sure Lamar told you that you were not going to have jurisdiction if you then followed, you know, uh, Bucky and Sam. So, again, not a... It was hilarious, but I think unintentionally so. And I don't think I have much else. Um, I'm glad we talked about Bucky and Sarah. I would watch that spinoff series. <laughs> um, I just also like it as, as her being kind of a normal-looking woman, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. You know, usually love interests in movies are somehow... I mean, she's beautiful, but like she's not like dolled right. up let's say like and she's not played by an ingenue like she's not young she's age appropriate for sebastian stan she's age appropriate for a hundred year old man it's a little hard to find someone totally age appropriate but (laughs) i was saying sebastian stan rather than the character but yes point yeah right (laughs) 
And I just thought that I did love those interactions between them. And I have also loved the banter that occurs with him and Sam because of those little little moments. And then I think I think we're about done. We are. Thank you, as always, to Karen Quayle, our uh, sound tech. Uh, all of the money that our patrons donate goes to her and makes this show possible. Uh, thank you to those patrons, to our listeners. Please, if you have not become a patron, think about doing so. Patron benefits include uh, early access to episodes, AMAs, which we do at the first Saturday of every month, and of course, access to the Discord, where there is a channel about apparently people's pets. Yes, the Discord is uh, has a little bit of a life of its own. <laughs> it, an adorables channel was started without me saying anything, <laughs> which I love. And then there was a bit of a political conversation that happened in one of the channels and and someone made a reference to, you know, sometimes you and I talk about our day jobs, which have to do with politics. And they made a reference to Anna and Dan's day jobs. And so I started a channel, which I thought I quite cleverly called day jobs. (laughs) And what happened is a bunch of our patrons started talking about what they do and who they Mm -hmm. are. And it's fascinating. We have a we have a pretty diverse crowd um, from people from all over, all kinds of interesting backgrounds. Please, uh, anyone who's a patron at any level uh, gets access to the Discord. So that's three dollars a month to start. If you can't do patronage right now, which is completely understandable, just support the show maybe by telling your pals mm-hmm. about it. You know, Dan and I did uh, basically this show for the Sci-Fi Channel which had the benefit of the sci-fi right. channel <laughs> and uh, advertising and whatnot. Uh, there are a lot of people who listen to that show that don't know we exist. So rate and review us. Uh, t- again, tell your friends and neighbors, and we'd really, really appreciate it. But we also just love having you here. This is a joy to do. As always, we appreciate you just dropping by. Until next time, Dan. Keep this channel open for more.